this is Lama Tantrapa, and I want to thank you for your interest in the secrets of Qigong Masters. You are the right place if you want to learn from some of the best experts in our field how to tap into the energy resources that would help you achieve greater vitality, personal power, improve your quality of life, and experience self-realization. I encourage you to dive deeper into these teachings by exploring the additional resources provided by this and other amazing guests of our show. Please visit qigongmasters.com, where you'll find a treasure trove of information and materials dedicated to empowering you to live your life in the flow. This is Derek Lau. I will be your guest host today, and uh, we are going to add to this wonderful library of qigong information and the greatest treasure trove of energy arts media in the world. And our guest today is somebody who may be familiar to you, Lama Samananda Tantrapa, who's agreed to share some of his great wealth of knowledge with us. Thank you, Derek. It's a pleasure to be interviewed by you on my show. And I'm really excited to share whatever I can share. And I believe that uh, we are currently going through uh, the season dedicated to success. So shall we discuss success in the context of Qigong? Well, that was exactly what I had in mind, as a matter of fact. That's a great <laughs> idea. Uh, success is something I'm sure that is near and dear to all of our hearts and uh, something that we can't ever get enough of. Uh, it takes many different shapes and forms and... Uh, the material world and the spiritual world, and uh, I'd like to uh, see if we can mine that knowledge. Um, now, if I could start, Lama, there is yep. this wonderful tree here that represents the different branches of the art of Chidao, of which you are master. And I was wondering if you could take a moment and explain to us what these branches mean. Certainly. Well, and this is uh, what we call Qigong tree. So it represents not only Qidao, but all kinds of other aspects of energy arts. On the left-hand side right here, there is the character for Dao. So it stands for Taoist Qigong. And it simply means that the people who believe in Taoism or who are philosophical Taoists, who practice the energy arts for the purpose of promoting the values or the objectives of their Taoist uh, lifestyle and way of thinking practice the Taoist Qigong. So Taoist Qigong essentially is mostly dedicated to attainment of great longevity and supposedly immortality, and obviously also improves one's wellness and connection with nature, whether it's the nature at large or our inner nature. Essentially, it's the Tao that permeates everything, and we learn how to connect with it and how to flow with it. Now, the next branch is uh, associated with uh, martial arts. Ooh. And so that essentially is a martial arts Qigong, sometimes referred to as Kung Fu. The character Kung, as in Kung Fu, is the same as Gong, as in Qigong. And so we study how to develop the skills in terms of martial arts applications of our energy arts, whether it is for self-defense, for protecting others, or simply to become stronger and more empowered ourselves. The next branch is uh, uh, also uh, something that pretty much anybody from any religion or uh, background would appreciate, and that's the therapeutic Qigong. 
or sometimes referred to as medical qigong. Essentially, it's the style of qigong or the whole branch that may include many different styles that is dedicated to promotion of health, healing, uh, improving one's vitality, and just simply living a healthier lifestyle. The next branch of Qigong is dedicated to Confucianism. Uh, and Confucianist Qigong is not so well known in America, but it's well known in China because Confucius was uh, another great Chinese philosopher along with Lao Tzu, uh, the guy who wrote Tao Te Ching, who lived at about the same time, 2,500 years ago in China. And the Confucius philosophy is majorly about improvement of one's lot and also improving the lot of other people around us. In other words, we improve the quality of life and also community relationships, improve the way that we do business, improve the way that we communicate with each other in political context, and essentially live a more harmonious life in a harmonious society. Uh, the one after that is the branch dedicated to Tantric Qigong. And it's even less known in the United States and in the West in general, because most people think of Qigong as primarily the energy art coming from China. And Tantric Qigong is particularly known for coming from Tibet, where uh, Tantric knowledge is preserved, for example, in the context of Tibetan Buddhism, which is also referred to as Tantric Buddhism. But it doesn't have to be necessarily a Buddhist tradition. There isn't a different branch of Qigong for that. Tantric Qigong is often dedicated to attainment of spiritual awakening or enlightenment through mutually empowering and enlightening relationships. And the last but not the least is the Buddhist branch of Qigong that's dedicated specifically to enlightenment or nirvana or attainment of freedom from suffering. So if nirvana, by definition, is a state of freedom from suffering, then there are certain energy principles and practices that can facilitate that. And obviously that would be called Buddhist Qigong. I also fold uh, under the umbrella of Buddhist Qigong the practice of dream yoga, which is uh, my particular uh, vehicle or the means that I consider one of the most direct and effective the spiritual practices that can be used for that particular purpose. And as you may know, the history of Qigong goes back five or even 6,000 years. And so before all these branches branched out, there was still some practice of energy arts. People did Qigong. What kind of Qigong did they do before Lao Tzu lived in China? And so there was no Taoism. Before Confucius lived in China, so there was no Confucianism. Or before Buddha lived in India, so there was no Buddhism. At that point in time, there was no differentiation between these branches. Obviously, they were practicing shamanic Qigong. And so that is where we start looking not at the branches, but also at the trunk of the tree and go all the way down to its roots. What were the fundamental principles and quintessential practices of the energy arts? that people did way back when there was no differentiation between styles, between different schools, between different uh, traditions of Qigong. They simply practiced something that worked for them. And that essentially what we study in Qidao 
the principles of energy awareness and learn how to apply them so that we can manifest all those objectives that uh, the different branches of Qigong try to pursue. But we do that in a way that is congruent with the primary objective, being authentic to uh, the true nature to ourselves and also embodying the idea or the ideal of being in a flow. Wonderful. Boy, that sounds like a uh, awful lot to study. How long has it taken you to get a grip on all these different branches of the tree to master the shamanic level of I can't say that I mastered each and every one of the applications on this tree. Some I know better than others, as most of the Qigong masters don't really uh, become masters of all trades. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that usually is what the jack of all trades does, and that leads to being master of none. I can certainly say that it took me a long time to master martial arts, but I started relatively young. Uh, I also took quite a bit of time to comprehend what the Taoist Qigong was really about. But once I got it, it was easy. Because once you figure out how to be in the flow, it doesn't really take much to get into the flow. Uh, kind of like awesome. our experience of downhill skiing. The first, it's like scary, and I don't know how to do this, and it's so uh, foreign and challenging. And then if uh, a few hours later going down black diamond slopes. So that's kind of like that. The martial arts Qigong and Taoist Qigong obviously often go hand in hand. So a lot of Taoists also practice martial arts. Uh, the therapeutic aspects of Qigong uh, took me uh, probably a few years, maybe close to eight years or 10 years to really grasp and uh, become f not just familiar with, but proficient in. I don't know if I can say that I'm a master of medical Qigong, but certainly I've been working with a lot of people, providing them healing. As a matter of fact, this particular plaque is not only for the Academy of Chidao, but also for Portland Qigong Clinic. What do we do in Portland Qigong Clinic? Well, we help people heal. And that's one of the primary objectives of the therapeutic or medical Qigong. And uh, the other aspects, for example, Tantric Qigong uh, didn't take me very long because it became really obvious to me that in order to practice Tantric Qigong, well, first of all, it really helps to have a practitioner who's kind of on par with you. So basically, that's more about helping another person to uh, get up to speed for me for uh, this particular point. And uh, once... People are energetically in attunement or in alignment with each other. Then everything becomes really easy and natural. People spontaneously feel compelled to provide mutual empowerment. They are spontaneously compelled to respect each other's values and support each other's progress along the path. And sometimes one person gets ahead of the other, sometimes... One person may fall off the bandwagon, so to speak. So, of course, there is mutuality in terms of supporting each other and helping each other become more awake or enlightened. And that also goes hand in hand with Buddhist Qigong. Uh, it didn't take me very long to learn how to be awake 
in my dreams, but it took several near-death experiences to actually really awaken to this dream we call our daily life. And once that happened, everything became so integrated because once you really see how things click, then suddenly everything becomes clear, interconnected, you see the connections, connect the dots, so to speak. And as you progress along this path of enlightenment, I want to make sure that I really pointed it out that it's not the path to enlightenment, like many people believe that the enlightenment is something that's going to happen sometime in the distant future, maybe in the next lifetime. But what we learn is how to be on a path of enlightenment. So we learn how to awaken on a consistent basis pretty much every day. It's just a matter of uh, finding ways to make it more consistent, deeper, last longer so we don't fall asleep right away. After the most profound awakenings, as I like to put it, we tend to fall asleep again. So then it's just a matter of spending less time being asleep and more time being awake. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Now, what I get out of that is that when you talk about medical Qigong or martial or the various aspects of your art, that you're really not doing anything for somebody, but you're helping them to do it for themselves. So your place in this is more of a, a guide than a doer or a force in their journey. And that's very much why I also developed Qigong coaching. Yeah, I absolutely agree that even as a, a practitioner of medical or therapeutic Qigong, as I prefer to call it, rather than me fixing the person, I engage the person in learning how to heal themselves. Why? Because even with the most advanced uh, therapeutic interventions, people often will not heal if they're not ready to heal. But when they're ready, they will experience healing sometimes spontaneously without much intervention, without much involvement of the therapist. Essentially, people heal when and to the degree that they're ready to heal. So then our job often is in promoting or facilitating that readiness. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what coaching does. Coaching essentially helps the person reorient their perspective on their particular health issue or their lifestyle and create that sense of readiness to experience mm -hmm. the breakthrough in their health or improvement in the quality of their life. Beautiful. That's very yes. interesting. Um, now I would like to bring all this information back around to our topic of the day, which is success. And it mm -hmm. sounds like there's lots of opportunities for growth here and the ability to attain success in our own life and journey. If we can, I'd like to break this down to each of these branches and expand on how these branches relate to our own personal success in our journey. Fantastic. So uh, if we can start, let's start with the uh, Taoist okay. branch. If you can share with us how that can help make us successful in our life. Well, first of all, different people have different definitions of success. And obviously people who practice these different branches of energy arts might also have different understanding of what success might mean to them, especially in, in regard to success in that particular application of Qigong. 
So what would it look like if a person succeeded in Taoist Qigong? Well, ultimately they would become immortal. Now I haven't seen a lot of people who achieved that. So apparently the ultimate success is not easy to attain. But another aspect of Taoist Qigong obviously consists of ability to experience and enjoy great longevity. I've seen a number of people who experienced longevity uh, well into their hundred years of age. It's hard to tell when you are, for example, in your middle age, how successful you are going to be because you still have several decades to go to find out whether or not you actually achieved that success. And so again, it's kind of an interesting way of looking at it. We can say, well, if we're talking about not just longevity in terms of the number of years, but also longevity in terms of making sure that we don't age as much or as quickly, then it can be something that we can observe in the present time. For example, many people tell me that at my age, which is 47, I have the strength and agility of a 20-year-old. The reason for that is being probably because I practice a lot, maybe because of the healthy lifestyle, maybe because in my 20s I develop a certain momentum, so to speak, to maintain a healthy lifestyle and practices that would carry me on probably into the old age and just didn't uh, slide back too much. Backsliding essentially means uh, I either forgot to practice or I developed certain lifestyle habits that are unhealthy or I would injure myself a lot or develop unhealthy attachment to certain foods or drinks or whatever, basically addictions. And so just because I didn't develop addictions or uh, unhealthy habits, I think is already one of the keys uh, to uh, maintaining a quality of life. But then, of course, if you have a healthy lifestyle and you are feeling really well, then you can improve upon that too. So, for example, develop a greater sense of vitality, a greater sense of capability. For example, I was just mentioning we went downhill skiing recently. Well, it's something that obviously requires a certain degree of strength and, and agility and coordination and balance. Uh, so doing this type of activities can also be a measure of success in terms of how much mm -hmm. you are maintaining that level of uh, youthfulness and energy. And then, of course, when you look at uh, these kind of activities like downhill skiing, for instance, it's also a great example of testing how much you are in a flow. So if you're constantly hurting yourself, falling and you know breaking your legs, obviously you're not in the flow. <laughs> and then if you figure out how to flow nicely and easily, and stop hurting yourself or stop falling over all the time. Well, that obviously is an example of being more in the flow of chi, more in the flow of life, which is, again, a primary example of success in Taoist Qigong. Beautiful.
Beautiful. And I can attest to the fact that skiing came pretty naturally for you. I've never seen anybody learn so much so quickly <laughs> from uh, struggling on a, on a beginner slope to black diamond in one day. <laughs> <laughs> that was bizarre. Yeah. That was bizarre. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think being natural is one thing. But what I really study and practice is understanding the principles that allow you to achieve that sense of ease as though you're natural, despite the fact that you may not be natural at it. Mm-hmm. I can honestly say that I didn't really ski growing up. Oh, I didn't downhill ski for sure. I, I skied cross country, but I didn't downhill ski. And so uh, that was uh, a revelation to me that, oh, you can actually strap these things on your feet and go 100 miles an hour. Okay, let's try it. <laughs> and so... Uh, what I had to do is obviously to learn how to apply the principles of Chidao and thank you for reflecting those principles back to me in terms of alignment, in terms of streamlining of the body, um, going through the curves, uh, following certain principles. It's all kind of clicks together when you start seeing, well, these principles that we study in our practices in the dojo can apply to all kinds of other sports and activities in life, including downhill skiing. Yep, that's uh, certainly one case of being in the flow. Fantastic. Okay, now if we can ex- uh, explore maybe the next uh, area that we can experience success in, there's the martial branch of Qigong, and how could that uh, assist people right. in, in feeling a sense of success in their life? Well, obviously martial arts... It can be a sport, so you can achieve success as an athlete competing in martial arts. But even if you don't compete, for example, I used to compete back in the old country, but coming to the United States, I stopped competing. And also because I lost eyesight in one of my eyes, and so I couldn't really compete effectively. So what I did is just started practicing martial arts for the sake of improving my skills and that's essentially the path of mastery martial arts is one of those activities that provide you an opportunity to really enjoy the mastery as compared to where you were five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago and obviously it's not a mastery just like enlightenment like a destination that you will once reach and from that point on you are the master and there is no going back. <laughs> it's more like the process of mastering and becoming more masterful. And in my mind, mastery by definition is the ability to perform things that others find difficult with relative ease. And also understanding the principles behind this ability to perform things at, uh, with relative ease so that you can uh, educate others be a teacher or a guide or a coach. And that creates a mastery in its own right. So some people may not be great martial artists in terms of being a fighter, but they may be a great teacher. So that would be another example of mastery in that particular arena. How would you uh, explain? I know that many people sometimes react from a place of fear. Fear causes irrational behavior, which can cause problems in our life, which is in many ways the opposite of success. 
sure. and the attitude that you achieve with the practice of the martial arts. How does that affect your success in life and your ability to, to cope and deal with situations? Well, I, I liked it, uh, how you presented that it's basically all about switching from being reactive to being responsive. And when people react to events, whether it's somebody trying to punch you or somebody says something uh, to you or projects energy at you in some other manner, if you react to that energy, you basically clash with that ongoing force. That's the definition of reactivity, reacting against the oncoming force. What we learn is how to become responsive instead of reactive. And that also means we not only move with that energy, but we can even facilitate movement further than, for example, the opponent was trying to perform. So if the opponent was trying to punch, for instance, and you just simply took their hand and extended it further than he anticipated, it creates a situation where he is most likely going to lose balance and fall over. Or the way I like to put it, you give the person a choice. Would you like to relax standing or would you like to relax on the ground? Mm -hmm. And again, it's something that we can apply virtually in any aspect of life. For example, in business communications. If we are reactive, nobody wants to do business with us. It creates a lot of strife and conflict. If we are responsive, we recognize the needs of other parties involved. We help them achieve what they want to achieve. And the more people we help manifest their dreams, the more people will help us manifest ours. So in a sense, even in martial arts, we help the person manifest his or her dream it's just we get ourselves out of harm's way. So, oh yeah, you want to move this way? So project energy in this direction? Sure, no problem. I'll help you. I can even mm -hmm. take your arm a little bit further than you thought it would go. And as soon as you connect with that person and help them move in the direction where they're going, first, they can't stop that very easily because they would have to fight against their own momentum and their own energy flow. Secondly, they are always caught by surprise because they almost always expect resistance or reaction from you. And instead of that, they get a response from you. And thirdly, there is no stress on your part because you're not reacting. You are not putting yourself in this fight or flight mode of, of thinking or feeling, which is the cause of stress. If you're not stressed, if you're not afraid, you already won. You're almost always going to prevail in under almost any situation if you are stress-free and fearless. So a martial artist who is full of fear will never be able to perform as well as the martial artist who is fearless. Again, can we take this quality of consciousness and bring it into other spheres of life? For sure. That fearlessness doesn't mean to uh, be foolhardy, or it doesn't mean that we have to be uh, aggressive towards others. Not at all. It just simply allows us to deal with the situation without uh, constantly being afraid that it's going to turn out crappy. That's one of the reasons why people suffer in their lives. They often focus in their minds on certain ideas or uh, images of what they don't want to experience. 
Of course, if you focus on something that you don't want to experience in your dream, in your daydream in this case, is made of energy, but you don't resonate with that energy. You focus on something you don't resonate with, you're actually not going with the flow of your dream. You're creating a nightmare out of the daydream for yourself. So you, you basically created internal stress and suffering even before something that you didn't want to experience occurred. And as a matter of fact, if you focus on that which you don't want to experience, you provide energy to it because where attention is energy flows. So you literally help manifest that which you don't want to experience. Again, adding insult to injury, so to speak, making it even more likely that whatever you don't want will actually happen. Murphy's Law, <laughs> whatever can go wrong will go wrong if you focus on that. So what we learn is how to become masterful in our attention so that we focus our attention on those things we either want to learn from so that we don't perceive them as problems, we perceive them as learning opportunities, we learn whatever we can from them, and then when we look back at them, we don't perceive them as something that we dread or wish never happened. We actually become grateful for having that learning experience in our lives. And I don't need to tell you how important it is to feel gratitude and how powerful that is. Boy, that's amazing. That's a, uh, a long ways from that concept of martial being fighting to mastery to creating solutions. Absolutely. That's a, that's a very magical thing. Yeah, when people practice martial arts, they often think that they're learning how to fight others. And what we really learn is how to connect with the energy of others mm -hmm. and recognize any of their movements, any of their actions as energy events. Mm -hmm. So we don't take their moves for the face value, as though somebody is punching me and uh, I think, well, why is he punching me? When is he going to stop? You know, why does this shit happen to me all the time? Instead, we look at it and perceive energy of that experience. And then if we connect with that flow of energy and move out of harm's way, and then maybe even facilitate greater flow of that energy in the direction it wants to go, it creates the situation where there is no conflict, at least no avert conflict. And what happens as a result is often we'll literally help the person relax on the ground. We'll either take them down or maybe even they will throw themselves down. And then if they're relaxed, there is no aggression. You can't be aggressive if you're relaxed. And as an alternative, the person may choose to relax standing. Again, if they're standing and they're relaxed, there is no aggression. We become friends. That's a wonderful thing. So by eliminating the fear reaction, you can create a solution, which is a certainly one embodiment of success. Absolutely. Is to create solutions in life. So uh, let's move on to the next branch and explore how we can create success there. All right. Well, uh, the therapeutic Qigong is something that, by definition, would be considered successfully done if we either achieve a certain degree of healing or even prevention. Personally, I always prefer prevention. I think there is a saying, an ounce of prevention is worth more than a pound of cure. Why is that so? Because if we prevent health issues, we may be able to address them before they turn into a major crisis. And we also maintain a greater sense of wellness in the process. 
Now, if we did contract certain disease or became ill in one way or another, it's still something that can be perceived as an opportunity to learn and grow from. Again, the same principles as martial arts uh, also can be applied in healing Qigong. Instead of perceiving it as a problem, we start perceiving it as an opportunity to learn about our own health, our own anatomy and physiology, how the energy flows in our bodies. And just like we were talking about other people, if we help them manifest their dreams, more people will help us manifest our dreams. Well, the same principles apply also to our internal organs and other parts of our bodies. The more parts of ourselves will help manifest and live their dreams, the more they come together to help us manifest and live ours. If your lungs and your heart and your liver and your spleen and all the other organs and energy centers and systems of the body work in concert together because they are happy and healthy, that makes you a happy and healthy organism, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's success. Well, the question how to achieve that. And obviously, we learn how to work holistically with the entire organism rather than compartmentalizing it into uh, different systems and just try to fix them one by one. We also recognize that the psychology of the person plays a crucial role in a person's health. So if one is psychologically stressed out or depressed or anxious, it will manifest somatically. It will change the physiology and make it either less vital or take energy from one part of the body where it needs to be and send it in another part of the body where it matches this particular energy dynamics associated with, say, depression. Uh, so what happens? person will literally start making themselves sick. How do people do this? By tapping into a certain energy resource or a certain state of consciousness and then getting stuck in it. And when we get stuck, it usually is simply because we forgot how many options exist in almost any situation. So if we get stuck in any situation in terms of health or any other aspects of life, it simply means that we forgot to look around and to explore what else is possible. So in terms of health and healing, often people feel like they're stuck because they have this illness or this particular disability, and that's it. They actually create sense of identity wrapped around that particular health issue or condition. And that's who they think they are. We know that who we really are is just a, a huge being as compared to a tiny little part of who we think we are. It's like the iceberg. What we think of ourselves and what we know about ourselves is just the tip of the iceberg compared to the huge iceberg that's unseen somewhere underwater. And if we remember about this simple principle that what we know about ourselves is just a fraction of who we really are, then it behooves us to start exploring what else is there that obviously can lead to profound revelations and a sense of uh, self-discovery. And we can discover different ways of being besides what we get stuck in, besides what we get used to. And if we are in a different way, it's guaranteed that our health will follow suit and change. 
our consciousness will also alter. We have will be in a different state of consciousness. We will experience difference in the way that we perceive ourselves and the whole world around us. So, in other words, change in perspective often leads to dramatic transformation in terms of health and vitality. That's a wonderfully enlightening way to look at things. It's uh reminds me of a saying I've heard of a field of intention. When you put the field of intention into being healthy and whole, mm -hmm. that that goes on. Now, I have uh, spoken with some other energy workers mm -hmm. that have experienced a phenomenon known as taking on bad energy from people that they're trying to help and, and creating health issues within themselves while they're helping others, which I would think is not a very successful endeavor. What would you say to that phenomenon and and how could you find success in those situations well i would say that in most cases when people experience uh, health issues that they associate with somebody else's influence they just simply forget to exercise the sense of self-agency in other words they forget that most of uh, our issues are a result of our own doing. So it may be a scary thought to say, I'm the one causing myself all my health issues. And, it, and on the other hand, if you realize you're the one who's actually doing it. For example, I would say most of our health issues crop up as a result of undue tension in the body, which creates energy blockages, which obviously prevents the free flow of chi throughout the organism, blocking access to certain energy centers or organs and creating deficiency and or stagnation. If that's the case, well, who's doing the attention to us? Nobody's tensing us up. We are the ones who's tensing ourselves up. If we really recognize that we are the cause of most of our own challenges, you know, that's immediately going to give us the sense of self-agency because then we will feel empowered to make certain changes within ourselves so that we stop causing ourselves this health conditions. Not all people recognize it immediately that, oh, if I'm tensing myself up and causing myself all these energy blockages, I know how to stop doing it. Some people may not recognize that they have the ability to stop causing themselves all these uh, health conditions. And one of the things that we learn how to apply our knowledge is uh, by experimenting with actually doing more of that, which we're already experiencing. For example, mm -hmm. if we already experience tension, one of the easy ways to learn how to take charge of this tension is by simply exploring how can I tense up more? Not a lot more, but just a little bit more. It's kind of a paradoxical idea. You learn how to do that, which seems to cause you grief, but you're actually doing it on purpose. You do this consciously, just to a small degree, so that you don't push yourself over the edge, so to speak. Don't cause yourself too much suffering. But at the same time, if you realize that you are the one who's in charge of your suffering or, or your own tension or stress or pain, then it gives you the sense of freedom. You're free to choose whether to keep doing that, which you've just done, or to stop doing it. 
or do something else. Again, if you look around and discover that there are many other ways to be and many other ways to engage yourself in your own physiology and the different ways of being, that will create a real clear indication that you have the freedom of choice to be sick or not. It's not black and white. Obviously, illness and health are not just good and bad things. And that's also why I don't really believe in good and bad energies. As a matter of fact, I don't really believe in good and bad in any context. I often bring up this metaphor that actually stems from, the, I believe, the Old Testament. I'm not a big expert in the Old Testament, but I've heard of the story of Adam and Eve, if you're familiar with it. They lived happily in paradise. Immortal beings in harmony with each other, with the whole world that they lived in, with the powers that be. And then something happened. They started munching on the fruit from the tree of what? Knowledge, I believe. The tree for knowledge. Knowledge of what? That's a good question. Uh, good and evil. Yeah. <laughs> and as soon as they started compartmentalizing in their minds good things from bad things, it created a dualistic, polarized perception of things. They started perceiving everything in black and white fashion. And there's always this battle between this black and white or good and bad that is happening nowhere other than the human mind. So this battle, this internal warfare, immediately caused so much stress that poor Adam and Eve started feeling disharmony with each other, with the world that they lived in. They got kicked out of paradise because they couldn't stay in, in that place of grace. They lost connection or harmony with the powers that be. Basically, that's how humankind has created the condition for its own suffering. We learned, as humans, how to separate good from bad. Now, if you think about it, nothing is inherently good. What's good to one person often turns out to be not so good to another person. And also, what was good yesterday may turn out to be not so good tomorrow. That means that there is no social agreement about goodness or badness. Often different religions or different schools of thought put these labels good on different things. And they can't agree with each other. No wonder people all over the world are fighting and, and struggling with each other because they think the good thing that is supposed to be good for everyone actually turns out to be not so good for everyone. And then it also doesn't have perpetuity over time. So if we think that we put a label good on something or label bad on something that's going to stick, obviously, why, why else would we put the label on we come back tomorrow or the day after, and it's changed. If it is always the subject to change, and we know the change is the most constant thing in the universe, then these labels just simply don't work. If they don't work, why use them? So I don't. I don't use the labels of good and bad, or evil, or any of that, simply because they don't work. Now, we have to replace this less than optimal way of thinking about things with something more functional. And much more functional way of looking at things, I believe, is 
based on energy awareness, specifically identifying things that you resonate with. And it's not just black and white, yes or no, resonance or dissonance. It's, of course, on the scale, how much you resonate with something. So that creates the situation where you can identify things that you resonate with, and it's an authentic experience of resonance for you, which may be different for another person. But if another person says, no, you don't resonate with this thing, you'll be like, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about, because I actually feel like I'm in resonance with this. In other words, nobody can impose these type of labels on you. It's completely authentic. And it may also be subject to change. So what you resonated with yesterday may turn out not so much in resonance with you today. And that's okay. You will find something else you resonate with. And it's not black and white. It's all relative. And of course, most things we observe and experience in our lives are not just at the pole opposite ends of the spectrum perfect goodness or perfect badness. Mm -mm. It's more like a bell curve where most of the things fall somewhere in the middle of that spectrum of how much you resonate with things. And then you just simply exercise discernment, making your choices based on sense of energy resonance rather than labeling and preconceived ideas. Okay, so you're saying that in the course of, of therapeutic energy work, if the person facilitating the energy work is perceiving that energy as good and bad, mm -hmm. and, and then they, in a sense, kind of transfer that energy, that idea from the whoever they're working with into themselves because of the perception of it being bad, it actually can affect the, that person yeah, properly. And then by letting go of that, that perception and just viewing it as energy, and allowing it to flow its course and, and, and resonate where it will, then they can more successfully do that practice without affecting their own bodies and their own health. Precisely. By seeing some level of success. Absolutely. If we don't put the label on energy, this is a bad juju, we're much less likely to experience a sense of fear of this energy. If not being afraid of this energy... Then in the other person's body or client's uh, energy field, maybe being afraid of picking it up ourselves. If we don't put the label, this is bad energy, we will actually less likely to cause that exact experience that we were just talking about. Because what you resist persists. They create the dynamics in which if you are pushing against something or trying to run away from it, it's like in a dream, the more you try to run away from some dark figure or some other character that may be challenging you, the more they pursue you. But if you square off and face whoever or whatever challenges you, that immediately gives you an opportunity to really look into the true nature of what that is. And that is not something outside of your own consciousness. It's something within you that actually dreamed it up. So in a sense, we discover that those things that we deem bad in some situations turn out to be a blessing in disguise if we just stop labeling them and actually look at them for what they really are, bypassing the superficial appearances and look at the true nature of things. And that applies, of course, to therapeutic applications of Qigong, as well as any other applications that we can talk about. Mm -hmm. 
Wonderful. That sounds like a uh, good key to success for those people out there who are actively engaged in the energy arts and trying to help the people around them. I hope that that uh, makes a difference. One of the aspects of being successful as a healer is really developing uh, this sense of helping people experience empowerment. Instead of us doing something to them, we help them experience self-empowerment and, and develop self-agency, where they become in charge of their own health. Instead of them relegating this responsibility to others, they start taking responsibility for themselves. And that creates much greater capability to handle a lot of challenges and also recognizing that some of the challenges that we, we try to run away from or try to get rid of them or just pretend they're not happening, they may be actually fantastic learning opportunities. So we stop struggling with particular health condition or issue and actually start looking at what is it that I can learn from that. And whenever we experience the learning that I'm talking about, we never go back to perceiving it as a bad thing. We start perceiving it, okay, well, it was an interesting challenge, but I managed to learn a great deal from it, so now I'm grateful for having that experience in my life. For example, like, I lost my eyesight. At that time, of course, it didn't feel good, but once I recognized that there is nothing really inherently good or bad, even being challenged with my eyesight created more opportunities for learning things. For instance, I developed the sixth sense that most people can only dream about. The sixth sense, in, in this particular case, is what I call kinesthesia, kinesthetic awareness, awareness of movement. Most people don't even have it in their vocabulary because uh, they never really thought that that is the sixth sense. They often think that the sixth sense is something like intuition or hunch or, or whatever mm -hmm. else. But we're all hardwired for being able to perceive movement. As a matter of fact, there is no life without movement. So it actually gives us a direct experience of the flow of life force mm -hmm. within ourselves. And so that is uh, what I consider the important aspect of uh, my personal journey. And I help other people develop their sixth sense, their kinesthetic awareness, which would allow them to experience life firsthand. That's very empowering. Yeah, that's the success in therapeutic Qigong, if you ask me. <laughs> that sounds like it. Absolutely. Okay, well, let's go on and explore the next branch of Confucian Qigong. Now, how does, how, what would Confucian Qigong help someone experience success with? Mm. Well, Confucius, uh, the philosopher who lived in China 2,500 years ago, uh, was known for coming up with all kinds of wise pronouncements. But uh, the essence of Confucianist Qigong is really about uh, creating greater sense of cohesion or harmony in a variety of different uh, social dynamics, whether it is the family or community or business. Essentially, it's about empowering people again, uh, helping them manifest their dreams, recognizing the values, and promoting those values so that they wouldn't feel like the values don't matter or that 
they don't perceive that they matter themselves. Instead, we engage the person or people around us in the journey, in a process of self-exploration, of understanding what their values really are, and also how they connect with other people's values. If we connect with other people's values or what they deem important, we can be on the same page, so to speak. Being on the same page obviously facilitates rapport, facilitates the sense of cohesion. People can collaborate with each other a lot better if they're on the same wavelength, so to speak. Communication happens a lot better if we are on the same page. If one person, for example, is stuck in the head, and the other person, let's say, is communicating from their heart, they may be missing the boat in the sense of connecting with each other or being able to do anything together because they feel there is some disconnect or communication breakdown between them. What do we do? We learn how to connect with other people on a much deeper level by understanding that they are energy beings. And we relate to them as such. So if one person is an energy being and another person, for example, myself, I'm an energy being, how can we communicate using energy awareness? How can we facilitate each other's empowerment? We know about resonance. The resonance actually uh, creates not only a sense of cohesion, but also the sense of enhancement of vibration. So one person who experiences resonance next to another person who's operating on the same frequency, so to speak, that actually creates a great uh, amplification of their frequency. It's like uh, in music, for example, if you have uh, two instruments, say two guitars, and you pluck a C note in one of them, the other guitar also will start vibrating on the same note because of that resonance. And so what we learn is how to identify where the person is at and also how to facilitate their sense of uh, congruency. So we don't manipulate them into doing something that is against their values, but rather help them understand what their values are because a lot of people don't really know what their values are. They operate kind of on the assumption that they have the right values. Well, simply because they never looked at their values, never reevaluated their values. Hardly ever do you see a person who actually consciously decided, you know what, my old value system is kind of outmoded and it needs some upgrade. And I'm going to upgrade my values by demoting some values that don't really resonate with me. I don't know where I even got it from, maybe from my upbringing, maybe from school or religion or some social influences, media maybe. I'm going to demote them from the place where they were on my list of priorities. And I'm going to promote some other values that are really of high priority to me. For example, whether it's health or whether it's a social contribution or whether it's a, a personal development or family or whatever else your authentic values are. And then once you reprioritize and reorganize your value system, first of all, you become really aware of what your values are. Secondly, you start aligning your actions with your values so that you don't act against your own values, which will always feel 
incongruent and disempowering to you. Thirdly, you make it so that your values don't conflict with each other. Because if we have conflicting values, they will be pulling us apart. And often people really say, I feel like I'm falling apart. Why? Well, it's because they have conflicting values. For example, if you have conflicting values uh, to go watch movies or to stay home and, and enjoy uh, time with your kids, for instance, there's going to be uh, a lot of hesitation, a lot of internal conflict, sense of guilt or a sense of lost opportunities. And essentially, it creates struggle and strife and suffering. If we organize our own value system according to our own priorities, it will create a sense of congruency. Then we will not have this much hesitation or internal conflict. Our decision-making is going to be much easier. We will not procrastinate so much. We will not have the sense of of violating our own values or integrity. And that essentially leads to feeling much more empowered and much more in the flow. And that can, again, be applied, for instance, to, let's say, business. How can this apply to business? Well, if you're a person of integrity, knowing your values and connecting with other people on this energy level of recognizing a sense of resonance and connecting with them so that there is rapport with them. They will be much more likely to work with you, collaborate with you on certain business projects or be your clients or be your customers. That creates much greater success. Mm -hmm. Now, who would argue with the fact that people who are successful need to teach others how to be successful? Well, that's another important aspect of uh, Qigong coaching uh, that I developed as a, a system, often based on the principles of Confucianist Qigong. You essentially help other people learn how this success works so that they would be able to then replicate it or experience it in their own lives. So again, you for other people to manifest and live their dreams they will be much more excited and happy to help you manifest and live yours. That's um, the most intelligent way, I would say, success can be applied uh, to Confucianist Qigong. Boy, that's very interesting. Listening to you say that, Lama, I think of this show, The Secrets of Qigong Masters, and the wonderful amount of knowledge that you've been able to share through this collection of people from all different branches of the energy arts and Qigong to come here and, and share their knowledge mm -hmm. and allow that to disseminate in the community of practitioners and allow them to find those different parts of the arts that resonate with them and allow them to develop to their fullest potential and experience success in their lives. So yeah. uh, I see this as a, a practice in Confucianist Qigong. Absolutely. And uh, congratulations for, for putting that together and having that success. And I hope that that is uh, able to bring a lot of success for our listeners out there. I believe so. Hundreds of people, if not thousands, uh, contacted me since I started this show, thanking me for doing this type of work. 
and also for facilitating other collaborative projects and events with other Qigong masters, whether it's the congresses or online summits or the, the Qigong mastermind groups. For example, I'm working on organizing another Qigong mastermind group literally within the next month. Once again, it's not going to be our first uh, Qigong mastermind group, but it, once again, we will bring together some of the most collaboratively minded and open-minded and excited to work with others. Practitioners of Qigong, as well as Tai Chi and related disciplines, who will be able to create joint ventures, uh, organize joint events, uh, help each other uh, connect with the right resources in the community, perhaps promote each other's uh, products or services, and if nothing else, get together and pick each other's brains and learn a great deal from each other because there's always we can learn something from another person or especially from a group of masters. Well, that's a magnificent idea. Now, if we have any listeners out there that are interested in participating in this mastermind group, mm-hmm. is there an email address where they could contact you? They can contact me on the website, qigongmasters.com slash collaborate. qigongmasters.com slash collaborate. Uh, This is a a website dedicated to the Secrets of Qigong Masters talk show. And it's also an online community where people can join our uh, circle of uh, practitioners from all over the world. We have literally several thousand members of our community who've experienced uh, Qigong from one school or another. And they're curious to see what else is available. How else can we not just do our own practices, but also move our entire industry, our entire energy art uh, forward in a way that it progresses and evolves in something even more alive, even more creative and productive. If it's an art, obviously it shouldn't be a dead art. It should be an alive art that is constantly evolving and growing. And that's what we're really dedicated to. And that's what we do with a a select group of people in the Qigong Mastermind Group. That sounds like a wonderful opportunity to experience and share some success in Confucian Qigong. True. Now, with that being said, I would like it if we could move on to the next branch of Qidao and uh, talk about how people can experience success with the Tantric applications of Qidao. Well, in Tantric, Qigong is obviously also very much about mutual empowerment and enlightenment. As we were just talking about how we can facilitate uh, manifestation of other people's dreams, well, that applies for sure to somebody who's really closely connected to us, whether it's our Tantric partner or our life partner. Ideally, it would be that we basically connect with somebody on such a deep level that it creates a lifelong, mutually empowering and enlightening relationship. When that happens, it definitely feels great to help our partner manifest and live his or her dreams. And there is also a sense of reciprocity. So this is a mutual engagement in helping each other experience greater sense of vitality, greater sense of accomplishment in what we're doing, whatever it is that we may be doing. And we also learn how to connect energetically with each other 
even on a deeper level than perhaps Confucianist Qigong suggests, because of the intimacy, we can really refine our energetic awareness with another person and also feel really open to them connecting with us. So it's often about dropping down our defenses or becoming less protective of ourselves and in a sense surrendering to uh, the flow of energy between us as partners. When that happens, it feels amazing. It really feels like a blissful experience in the relationship dynamics. But it also facilitates the sense of awakening or enlightenment because we can really remind each other that we are in a dream. Again, we will look into the dream yoga in just a moment, but if you just consider that if you are sleeping and dreaming, for example, how wonderful would it be if somebody would walk up to you, a dream character, and said, hey, do you know that you're dreaming? This is a dream. You can become lucid in this dream. You can become awake to the true nature of what you're experiencing right now. And guess what? Everything is made of energy in this dream. So this is the perfect opportunity to practice energy arts in the most pure fashion. Now, that would be a really fun experience if you had a dream like that, wouldn't it? Absolutely, yes. Now, how can we make it so that this happens not only in our night dreams, but also in our daily life? Well, that's what Tantra Qigong really is about. We serve that role for the other person and engage them in reciprocating so that they would serve that role to us, reminding about the true nature of the dreamlike experience that we call our daily life. We connect with the other person so intimately and uh, on such a, a clear level of communication that there is no power struggle or uh, trying to prove something to someone. It's just relaxed and clear communication from heart to heart and from all other energy centers, of course. I've never heard of anyone who would experience enlightenment just by using one energy center, even if it is heart. It has to be the entire gamut of the energy centers. So we learn how to also connect with each and every one of them and connect with a partner from each and every one of those energy centers, often referred to as chakras. And that creates the sense of fullness in terms of our connection. So we're not just connected uh, with one little hook. There is actual uh, a massive flow of energy flowing between us. And that creates a massive amount of empowerment that we can apply to manifesting and living our dreams. That's tremendously empowering, Lama. Now I have uh, seen, and many people out there may have had the thought when they hear the word tantric mm-hmm. of sexuality and, and sexual connection. And what you sure. talked about is so much more than that. And of course, energy and success sexually is always important to much of humanity mm-hmm. that, 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 that transcends to relationships that are non-sexual. Can you well, address that a little bit? Absolutely. Well, sexual experiences and sexuality pertains to uh, one of the energy centers, but not all of them. However, we can experience intimate connection on each and every level. And so what we do is we learn how to recognize that 
whether it's a sexual connection or it's uh, just pure affection or love, we use the same principles. For example, let's say many men experience, let's say, erectile dysfunction. Why? Often it's lack of imagination. They say brain is the largest sex organ. So if they don't engage their conscious mind or their creative mind into uh, the lovemaking, it will feel difficult. It will feel truncated and often leads to uh, inability to really perform. And if you just simply engage your mind and remind yourself that whatever I am visualizing or imagining in my mind is a dream, then it's also a direct opportunity to practice lucid dreaming because you are dreaming something up. It's just not a night dream, it's a daydream of sorts. However, the mechanism of dreaming is the same. As a matter of fact, it's much easier to become lucid in a daydream. You know why? Because yeah, you're not asleep. <laughs> so <laughs> you simply remind yourself okay. that you are dreaming while having a dream, thereby becoming lucid. And that gives you an opportunity to really get creative because the sky's the limit. If the brain, I would rather even say if our mind is the largest sex organ, there is no limit to our creativity in that context. So what we do is we simply become more and more creative. And this creative juices, when they start flowing, they go hand in hand with the sexual juices, don't they? <laughs> so we really develop the ability to flow with the, each other when we feel like we are really creative, we're really open-minded, we're uh, free of inhibitions, we're free of judgments and, and expectations. What is not to love? What is not to enjoy? This is the wonderful opportunity for all of us to really learn how to perform sexually, but then transcend the sexual context and go beyond, go into other areas of life. For example, arts. How can you apply this creativity to arts? If sexual energy is one of the most creative energies out there, why don't we put it to good use to get creative with something? Maybe it's health. Can we bring that sexual energy to some areas that may have affliction or deficiency and empower those parts of ourselves, thereby improving our health? or promoting healing. Interesting. So there's a lot of overlap there between the tantric practices and all of the other branches in the tree. All of those branches come from the same root. And so we literally learn how to go back to those roots over and over again, understand the same principles that apply to each and every application of energy arts, and then just simply fine-tune our actions in the alignment with those particular areas of life that we are applying our skills in. That's a beautiful thing. So there we have it. Success <laughs> in Tantra. Absolutely. From sexuality to overall relationships. That's a uh, wonderful area of life to create success in. Yeah, and, and leads to enlightenment because if both people serve this role of a lucidity facilitator for each other, it literally creates a situation where you don't just rely on yourself to maintain certain degree of lucidity or simply 
presence of mind to remind yourself that you're dreaming in the dream, you also have somebody else who's helping you out, which capitalizes upon uh, the other person's level of, of awakening or enlightenment and creates the mutual dynamics where each person helps each other to step to higher and higher level of enlightenment. You know, that just gave me a wonderful thought, Lama. If that process and that energy and that knowledge could spread to just 50% of the people in the world, Mm. it would be absolutely impossible to have a war. You're quite right. I think we are essentially on the cutting edge of conscious human evolution. And the more people join us on this edge of human evolution, the more likely that we will be able to first survive as human species, which at this point may be quite questionable. But most importantly, we will also evolve in a way that is most congruent with who we really are and what our purpose on Earth may be. What would that purpose be? Well, for me personally, I would say the purpose of life is recognizing that I am creating this entire universe. This is my dream. If I do that, or when I do that, I essentially become one with the whole universe because the dreamer and the dream are not separate from each other. Becoming identified with the dreamer of the entire universe uh, may sound like a, some kind of ego trip or a delusion of grandeur. But the funny thing about it is that if you really think about it, if we realize that we're dreaming our experiences up and nothing in this particular universe is inherently good or bad, we simply start embracing all our experiences, all the experiences and expressions of what this universe turns out to be. We may recognize that we resonate with some of them more and some of them less, and then will give us an ability to simply feel the flow of energy and flow with it. Rather than fighting against the flow, rather than struggling, we can actually enjoy the ride. And that applied not only to ourselves, but to others, obviously can be also very empowering and enlightening for them. That, by the way, would be the next branch of our art, would be the Buddhist Qigong, right? We're getting there now. We've now experienced the success of, of bliss and world peace. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a hard one to top, but let's move on to the next <laughs> branch of the uh, Buddhist practice of Qigong, which is dream yoga. If we consider that enlightenment or nirvana is the state of being free of suffering, of course, it doesn't mean that the journey of enlightenment has zero suffering. As a matter of fact, I've never heard of anyone who would attain any degree of enlightenment without having gone through some substantial amount of suffering. So suffering is not a problem. Suffering can actually be a catalyst for enlightenment. It's just like in the night dream, it's easier to awaken if you realize that you are dreaming yourself a nightmare. If you are so challenged in a dream that you really feel like, oh my God, this just is so bizarre, I must be dreaming. That often is an excellent catalyst for awakening. Now, I don't want to say that we should consciously create our suffering all the time. 
But what we learn is that suffering is not a bad thing. And sometimes it's misunderstood by many people who follow the teachings of Buddha, who did say that we live in a life full of suffering. And we understand the cause of that suffering. And there is a way to live suffering-free. And as a matter of fact, there is a certain methodology how to achieve exactly that. He didn't say suffering is bad. It's people who believe in good and bad, this dualistic polarized way of thinking, ascribe some badness to suffering. Now what we learn is how to stop causing ourselves too much suffering, perhaps, and also how to take charge of our own experiences. If we decide to suffer, well, fine, that's going to be a spiritual ordeal. But we're going to do this just like with tension. We will consciously tense up or consciously create just the right amount of suffering to catalyze our awakening. And then we say, okay, well, you know what? I think I'm done suffering. Suffering is optional. So I might as well quit suffering now. And just that simple maneuver of consciousness leads you to experience life suffering-free, which is by definition what we call nirvana. And when we become more and more awake to the true nature of our dream that we call our daily life, that literally creates the situation where you simply say, you know what, I think I've suffered enough. I'm ready to live my life more in the flow. I am fully in charge of my own life experiences and how I relate to them. So I decide to relate to them somehow else instead of suffering. How about I'm going to start looking at them as great learning opportunities, lessons that life presented to me. Not just life that somebody else gave me the lessons. I'm actually the creator of my own experience. The deeper part of me that I call dream being essentially is dreaming up all my dreams. Well, that aspect of my being, that deeper part of the iceberg that's huge and it sustains and supports the tip of the iceberg that we identify with, uh, we think that's who we are, probably knows a lot more and has a lot more wisdom and energy resources than we have up on top of the iceberg, the little tip. So we might as well trust it. We can actually develop a clear interface between the tip of the iceberg and the rest of the iceberg. And the interface allows what used to be unknown to become known. So basically we tap into those energy resources and, and sources of wisdom and knowledge within that previously were unavailable or we didn't even know that we had them. And what do you think that interface is between unknown and known aspects of ourselves? It's the dream, being aware of the dream. Absolutely, it's awareness. Awareness is what allows whatever we used to be unknown to become known. And what also happens is that we depend on mechanism of memory when we relate to everything that happened to us in our lives. How do we know that something happened? We have to remember it. How do we know anything about ourselves that has to do with memory? How do we know anything about the world that we live in? That's how much we remember about it. Well, as we compare that to whatever we know about our dreams, how is that different? Anything you know about your dreams comes from your memory. Mm -hmm. It's the exact same mechanism of memory that we use to know something in our daily lives or in our dreams. 
we basically begin to see so many parallels between the world of dreaming and the world of daily life that eventually we no longer can tell them apart. Once that happens, then we begin to live the dream life. Now, how, Lama, does this help a person to connect to success? What type of success is that? And how do we apply that to be successful in our lives? Very easily. As a matter of fact, often people are referred to living a successful life as living a dream life. Mm-hmm. We talk about manifesting and living our dreams. Well, that would be a materialization of success, wouldn't it? What would it be like if we were to live our dreams? It would mean that we would live a fully empowered and fully enlightened life, being aware of the fact that we're dreaming and recognizing that the experiences that we have are neither good nor bad. They are fantastic learning opportunities each and every step along the path. Every step that we take on earth can be a fantastic opportunity for growth and expansion of consciousness. If we experience our lives this way, that's already a major success, wouldn't it? Absolutely. We can start perceiving the true nature of things. Relating to the true nature of things, of course, needs to start with ourselves. We need to start relating to our own true nature. How do we do that? We have a practice of harmonizing polarities, bringing the two seemingly distinct worlds together so that they would become one. And then whatever we perceived as a dream world and whatever we perceived the world of daily life are no longer two separate worlds. They become one world. We literally start living a dream. We literally start developing the ability to perceive ourselves as an energy being and as a dream being, which means what? It means that we recognize our own connection with the entire world of the dream. In the dream, everything is connected because it's made of energy of consciousness. And the same dreaming mind is dreaming everything up. So there is no separation of things, even though they may appear to be distinct separate objects in the dream or certain distinct characters. Essentially, it's all one energy field that just appears to be broken down into distinct entities. And what we learn to do is develop the ability to perceive everything as energy fields and beings and currents of energy, which gives us the ability to feel the flow of chi or feel the flow of energy in our dreams, experience a real great sense of wellness and well-being, ultimate bliss, if you will, if we learn how to really be in the flow of the dream. Now, what would it have to do with success? It means we've actually succeeded in creating unity out of those two seemingly polarized, distinct worlds. We integrated them into one. What we also integrated is something that most organized religions have struggled to connect with and integrate with. I don't know of any organized religions that actually successfully integrated the creator with creation. 
there's always separation between the creator and the creation, which just doesn't exist in the dream, because the dream being the creator of the dream is also the entire totality of the dream world. So in other words, the universe that is dreaming itself into existence finally becomes one, as the name implies, universe. It's one the same universe that's been uh, somehow artificially compartmentalized and separated the, the creation part of it from the creator part of it. And then, of course, we give certain labels to the creator as God, the Almighty. But essentially, it's the same universe that has been dreaming itself into existence. Once we recognize that there is no dichotomy between the creator and creation anymore, we've actually achieved that which no organized religions ever managed to achieve. From that point on, the sky's the limit because we literally start identifying with the creator of the universe. If we're one with the whole universe, and that's the universe that's dreaming itself into existence, then our objective becomes becoming more and more lucid in this dream that the universe is experiencing. Because once we become more and more lucid, more and more awake, that means the whole universe is more awake because we realize that we are one. Now that's the biggest game in the universe, as you would probably put it. You literally facilitate the awakening of the entire universe. If your life here was Earth and your dream was heaven, and you learn to connect the two, you have heaven on Earth. That sounds like quite a success. That sounds like success to me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Lana, for sharing that. That's very enlightening. Absolutely. So, uh, gosh, that concludes our interview. We have been uh, wonderfully swinging our way from branch to branch in this beautiful tree <laughs> here. And uh, I'm going to throw a little bit of a challenge on the table for you here, Lama. Well, please do. And that I would like you to go through and recap. We covered a lot of wonderful material today. And what I'd like you to do is recap each one of these branches and how it connects to success in one simple sentence. Sure. I accept the challenge. <laughs> the Taoist Qigong here has to do with attainment of immortality, or at least great longevity and wellness along the way. So the success in that would be experiencing great sense of vitality and wellness at each and every day, at each and every step you take on Earth. The martial arts, Qigong, has to do with uh, feeling empowered and eventually uh, being invincible, but not because you are beating everybody around you up, but rather because you don't put yourself in harm's way in the first place. Or maybe when people think of you or approach you, they cannot formulate in their minds the thought of raising the hand on you. That would be success as a martial artist, wouldn't it? Yes. Uh, when we look at the, the therapeutic or medical Qigong, I would consider a success of being not only defeating diseases, but preventing diseases as much as feasible. And essentially, again, attaining a, such a high level of vitality and wellness that we are constantly functional at the maximum of our capacity as human beings. If we look at uh, uh, Confucianist Qigong, it has a lot to do with 
attainment of harmony with other people uh, in our families, in our societies, and our communities, community building, and also conflict resolution within our communities and on international scale, perhaps, creating peace on earth. That would be a massive success when it comes to Confucianist Qigong. The Tantric Qigong has a lot to do with uh, mutually empowering and enlightening relationships. Well, if we feel very empowered and enlightened, that would be a measure of success. And of course, it's not just attainment of that enlightenment once and for all, or you're 100% empowered, but it's rather a journey of empowerment, a journey of enlightenment. So as you progress along the path, you mutually support each other as tantric practice partners, and eventually you uh, perhaps create a whole circle of people or community around you who are on the same page and they can mutually support each other in becoming more and more empowered and enlightened human beings. And of course, the Buddhist Qigong is very much about attainment of enlightenment or nirvana or freedom from suffering. And as we just talked about it, the freedom from suffering or nirvana is almost like uh, creating heaven on earth or essentially experiencing that you are living a dream life and you become awake and fully lucid in this dream that we call our daily life. Wonderful. And all of these branches then tie together in the, in the shamanic practice of Chidao. Now, can you share with us, Lama, if I or somebody else in our audience is interested in pursuing this study in all of these branches and how they fit together into the art of Chidao, what is the best way and what avenues do we have available to us to learn more about this? Well, the best avenues would be to visit uh, the website first and uh, get acquainted with the variety of options that we offer at Academy of Chidao. There are several options in terms of uh, the intensity of engagement in our practices, uh, the level of commitment that you're willing to commit uh, to practice the path of Chidao, and also the ability to practice either face-to-face -face or long distance. Of course, until recently, communication technology was not developed enough, so people had to practice it with each other face-to-face. -face. Nowadays, we have lots of great ways to communicate with each other across the entire globe, so our community has expanded internationally, and people from all over the world participate in our programs and uh, online courses. I also coach people one-on-one, -on -one and coach groups of individuals who are interested in particular applications of Chidao. And that's something that I would love to invite our viewers and listeners to enjoy by simply visiting Academy of Chidao's website, either academyofchidao.com or chidao.org. And you can also go to qigongcoaching.com, which is like a, a flagship site uh, that will share with you the, some of the most simple and elegant methods for manifesting and living your dreams. Wonderful, Lama. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Uh, and thank you all out there for joining us for this uh, wonderful episode in the Secrets of Qigong Masters. I hope that you will visit our site and 
and take advantage of all the other wonderful interviews out there. And I've got one little surprise left today. Lama just had a challenge to explain all of these branches in one sentence each. He exceeded that one sentence each, so I'm going to invite him to reimburse us by doing another episode in the future on the shamanic Qigong, if he's amenable to that. I will be happy to. Thank you so much, Derek, for interviewing me today. It's been a real pleasure. Wonderful. Thank you all for joining us. (laughs) You've just experienced another episode of the talk show, The Secrets of Qigong Masters, bringing to you some of the top experts in Qigong, meditation, healing, and martial arts. Please visit qigongmasters.com to dive deeper into the teachings of our amazing guests by downloading their multimedia products and becoming a member of our international community of like-minded people. The show is also brought to you by Academy of Chidao, offering qigong coaching programs that integrate the ancient energy arts with a modern methodology of coaching. If you struggle with chronic pain, suffer from too much stress, want to boost your performance, or seek spiritual awakening, please go to qigongcoaching.com. There you can receive top-notch coaching as well as professional training to become a certified Qigong coach yourself. That's right, if you're dreaming of making a decent living, doing what you love, and making a difference in the lives of many people worldwide, check out our programs that will help you manifest and live your dreams.